Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies. And as far as the world's concerned, uh, there is no other movie than Avengers Endgame. Really, you know, so let's face it. And we have the directors of that movie with us, Anthony Russo, Joe Russo. How are you, sir? You know, everybody's talking about the fact that in its first week, it's broken every record. It's like $1.2 billion in doing it. But what really gets me about this success, which I certainly don't begrudge you, I'm sure you're getting 90%, right? It's just Oh, all, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, at just, this point, after four movies? Oh, yeah, yeah 90%. It's, just, yeah. it's totally it. Yeah. But um, to me, this movie's a love letter to everything that the Avengers mean. To so many people. Yeah. It's a true, made by people who seem to be not only gifted at what they do, but who are fans of what this is. Although I'm sure the fans drive you crazy <laughs> with the questions that they have. So before we start, I just want to show you a clip. This was some of the people that were interviewed at the theater just wanting to talk to you okay, and cool. say something. I have to thank you guys so much for this movie. It was pretty incredible. Um, I've seen it multiple times already, and I gotta say, it gets better every time I see it. Wow. Thank you, Russo Brothers, for making the best movie ever! You've inspired me to um, want to make films in the future. Maybe I'll become a movie director myself or something. And maybe I could be one of his actors. Thank you for bringing my childhood to life. Thank you for making Avengers movies. Thanks to the brothers Rousseau and all the cast for the Avengers movie. It was really good. Thank you so much. My whole family enjoys these movies. And I just really want to see what happens next. And if you need extras in the movie, just ask. You guys really do make Marvel great. Excelsior. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. Special that has to feel good. That's why we yeah. make these movies. Yeah. yeah. You just you have to. I think next, though, you should do Chekhov. That's you know? right. <laughs> yeah. We're headed that direction. Right. We, we, We're actually going to do a movie called Cherry. Cherry, yes, I've yes, heard about uh, that. based on a book by uh, Nico Walker. But, about uh, that uh, army medic. Yeah, yeah he comes exactly. back and is, um, gets hooked on heroin to deal with his PTSD. So, slightly different subject matter than, uh, than Marvel. But no superpowers. No. no. What's amazing is but, seeing But Tom that, Holland will, yeah. will be playing uh, the lead, so... How no so look, yeah. So yeah. it's still family. <laughs> exactly. And that, within Avengers Endgame, what Tom Holland does in that with uh, Robert Downey's uh, Iron Man yeah. is so emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so much that if you're not feeling for that, you, you've lost all the ability to feel anything. You know? Well, the, yeah. the, I mean, the great thing about Marvel, and I think why so many people relate to it, is about family relationships. You know, there's, there's uh, mothers and daughters, fathers and sons. You know, and surrogates. You know, this doesn't mean that people are related. It's just they 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 have a, a, a they've created a family. Mm-hmm. What we also like about it, and what's amazing about seeing fans like this, is that very rare as a storyteller do you get to make movies like this that bind people together. There's a real sense of community behind these films. The global reach is significant. A fan in the UK can talk to a fan in India, can talk to a fan in Japan, and it really is a, um, a binding experience. We snuck into the theater on uh, the uh, Thursday night that it opened in Los Angeles mm-hmm. after the lights went down we went in the back and it's rare that we've been in a movie theater where we've had that kind of experience people were cheering and laughing and crying and cheering some more and jumping on their seats and you know it really had an energy to it that, that seems very unique to 
to this uh, narrative experiment. But when anything is emotional like that, and what you did last year with Infinity War, you snapped your fingers, <laughs> right. and half of the world's gone. You know? that, boy, what a power move that yeah. was. Well, that's one of, the, one of the great joys of working in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and with a serialized storytelling uh, at, at, at the cinematic level is that we get to take chances and we get to go to places in, in individual films that you might not be able to otherwise. You know, it's, it's very rare to see a Hollywood movie, especially a big major release Hollywood movie, where the bad guy wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, life, life isn't like that. Like, sometimes in life, the bad guy wins. We all have to endure that. So the, to be able to tell a story where the bad guy wins and it's okay for the audience because they know that even though the movie ended that way, there's still hope for the future because the story's not over, that, that's a very you know, unusual experience, unusual opportunity for filmmakers to tell that kind of story. Well, they, they can't seem to accept that it's over. I think that's why you hear people saying, I saw it three times. Right. You know? mm-hmm. uh, yeah. You're going back to it, I don't think, not just to look at the nuances of what you might have missed, but... I need to hold on to it. They can't really be gone. Well, nothing has value unless it has an ending, right? I think that why the, you know, there's so much energy around this movie is that it's a true finale. There's, you know, this is an ending for, uh, for a, a number of the characters that people have come to love for the last decade. How do you decide in Endgame who's going to live and die? Who is going to survive? It's really based on an individual character level. Like, we just study each of the characters. We think about, you know, our job on the movie, our goal for this movie was to, to end, the, end the run that began 11 years ago now with the first Iron Man movie. So we looked at every one of those characters. We looked at their arc that they'd been on through all of the films. Mm-hmm. And we just started to think about, well, what was the most satisfying climax for each of those characters on an individual level? And then we began to see how it all sort of orchestrated together with one another. Um, but that was our road. It wasn't, there was never a mandate from Marvel about somebody had to live or somebody had to die. It was simply, what is the most satisfying story we can tell? Yeah, I would think that Marvel and Kevin Feige and what everybody would say, they would be betting every decision <laughs> that's being made about this because these are characters that live in everybody's heads and hearts. Well, yep. when we came into Marvel, it was with the spirit of disruption. And uh, you know, if you, our previous work was very disruptive work. Arrested Development is uh, a very uh, uh, cynical sitcom uh, yeah, or, or comedy that uh, was on. Community deconstructs genre. That was sort of uh, the specialty of that show. Uh, and then you know, we started at a point in Marvel where they had already built the you know, first act Mm-hmm. of this uh, Infinity Saga, we came into the second act when you traditionally start to deconstruct. And we started making really disruptive choices, and they got excited by that, because those choices were working. And I think that, you know, we're, we're at a moment of transition for narrative. We really are. This generation that is coming up consumes narrative in a very different way than we do. Uh, they're used to consuming narrative in, you know, 30 seconds on Twitter, 10 minutes on YouTube, uh, they'll watch it on the bus, they'll watch it in school, they'll watch it on a plane, they'll watch it in the bathroom. You know, they, they have a different, they have a PhD in content consumption. Mm-hmm. They can handle a different level of density than we can. Uh, they want serialized storytelling because they like that emotional connectivity. And also what that serialized storytelling gives them is conversation, a long-term conversation that they can have over a decade about how much they love characters, you know, who's right and who's wrong, who's going to live, who's going to die. 
And you know, so social media has become a real driver for pop culture. When you think back on Endgame, what are like the three or four things that stick in your mind about the making of it? You know, what, you, without giving away too much, although we'll give away some things, we don't want to give away or spoil, yeah, but yeah. just in terms of shooting and being the, on that the, set and then watching it. The emotional moments, and what's nice about the film is that because we made such a radical choice at the end of Infinity War, um, you know, we open the film and, and it stays in a very somber tone for about you know, 30 or 40 minutes, which again is unique for a commercial movie. Uh, and uh, we refer to it as the section where you know people have to take their medicine. This mm -hmm. is, you know, we're gonna we're we're gonna swim in the waters of uh, of uh, pain and uh, uh, regret and guilt that all of these characters feel about what happened, uh, and that's unique. And I think that, you know, so that that's a that to me was very memorable, being able to shoot scenes that you know with with uh, uh, emotional truth to them. Uh, you know, we love when uh, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans get to work together. They're very, they're very elegant to together and understated. So they had a really beautiful scene early in the movie. I think the other thing we'll remember is Robert Downey. Mm -hmm. And this is really, you know, this is he, one of the most iconic characters in pop culture history. You know, I would, I would argue in movie history. I mean, you know, and, and I don't think anyone would argue with you yeah. about that, which is why playing with anything. I mean, because the amazing thing about Iron Man is that he's such in the beginning of all this such a cynic such mm -hmm. a it's all about me yeah until he's he can build to yeah. some kind of self-sacrifice right that's that, exactly yeah. his arc is that he goes from selfish to selfless over this this 10-year journey and he makes a lot of poor decisions along the way he makes a lot of good decisions along the way he makes a lot of very human decisions along the way and I think that you know the audience went on a ride with him, and that's a, it's a very profound um, experience for them. And I think by what you said, I think that's why, even though he dies in this movie, and his this this beloved character is is now leaving the movies, um, because it's the completion of this arc for this character, because <laughs> it's sort of a movement from selfishness to the ultimate act of selflessness and self-sacrifice, and he he's giving up a lot by making this choice. His wife, his daughter, who are so important to him. There, there is sort of like a beauty and there's a nobility and an, and an uplift in his decision to do that and a hopefulness. Well, there is. There's a, there's a memorial service, I'll just put it that way, in the film where we see a lot of Avengers. Was that thing shot in one? It was. It was a, it was a one. Really? You had there. all those people in one? We did. It was a one and oh. we got them all for about two hours. and we. Uh, it was probably the most rehearsed shot we have ever yeah, we executed. rehearsed it the day before with because <laughs> it's phenomenal yes. that that could happen. Yes, yeah, so well, we knew fantastic. we knew it's like it was. You can imagine how hard it was to get all those actors together. So we knew it's hard enough to was, get <laughs> half a dozen. Of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a really rare opportunity. So it was it was special though. But because they were gathering for um, Tony's funeral, you know, we we tried to be very secretive in in, in executing the movie about what was going to happen. So internally, we would always refer to that scene as the wedding, not the funeral. Um, that I was see. our code word, code word for it. We're yeah. doing the wedding thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also what it represented is, you know, this is a grand narrative experiment. These are, of course there have been, you know, serialized stories and movies before. Of course there have been franchises. This is 11 different franchises interwoven uh, to tell one mosaic. And what we found really compelling about that shot is 
here are groups of characters that represent inter- interwoven pieces of that story, all on the on the shore saying goodbye to this character who started. And if all. you cut up the number of movies that those characters in that shot have interacted with Tony Stark, oh, I mean it's it's significant, vast, right? Yeah. Well, I see a lot uh, just from my own personal bias about Cap because. You did Winter Soldier, you know, and Civil War, which are two of my favorites in that series. That's what you're doing in this. There's a lot of that in there. You're not really afraid of the character building elements of those movies. It doesn't have to be right away. And that's what happens in it. So do you have, do you two feel a special connection to Cap? And I think we do. We do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been involved in such a large piece of his arc. Um we love the character. And look, one of the exciting things about that character is while Tony Stark has sort of been the, the whirlwind center of the MCU, you know, Cap is the co-lead of the Avengers. And he's the co-lead of the Avengers because in many ways he's the opposite of Tony. And his arc is the opposite of Tony through mm-hmm. the MCU. You know, Cap starts where Tony started, started as a very self-centered character, a terminally self-centered character. Cap starts only wanting to serve being ready to lay down his life from, from, from Jump Street for, for the cause, for mm-hmm. others. Subjugated his identity. Yeah, so he, and then his movement through the MCU was the opposite in the sense that he had to get to a place where he was self-actualized, where he had to walk away from authority, realize his individuality, and eventually find a way to make a choice for himself that had nothing to do with, with the greater good. When you're shooting that, kind of a scene where we're saying goodbye to a character. Are you guys affected by it in the moment that it's being shot or are you too wrapped up in the getting of the shot? Yeah, there's emotional. a lot of pressure to get it right. Yeah, yeah You feel the gravity yeah. of, of years of storytelling, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and certainly, you know, the last shot uh, 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 that we... The, the last thing that we shot was Robert uh, saying, I am Iron Man and snapping his fingers. That mm-hmm. was actually the last shot that was ever recorded uh, for the film. And that was certainly emotional because it was Robert, because it was the character's last line, because we shot it in Los Angeles at Raleigh Studios where Robert, uh, 11 years earlier, had screen-tested for Iron Man. So we're literally the soundstage adjacent to where we were f- shooting his last scene as Iron Man Soundstage next door is where he, he had one screen test. I didn't even know he had a character. screen test. <laughs> yeah. Thought, yeah, they don't talk about don't it much. Don't you but he, know yeah. what? <laughs> well, if you go He's back to where Robert Downey was in his career at that time. Well, that's you know, true. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of things in there. But it's when you are shooting it as opposed to when you're watching it. Now, you guys are in that editing room. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, I ran into people who were actually online when I was going to the screening, who were on another line that were going to spend 59 hours watching all 22 oh wow. movies. Amazing. Yeah, Three that's... days where they were sitting there. Yeah, that's... But you're watching this movie hundreds of times. So what can cut through that repetition to you when you're watching it and actually get a tear out of you? I'll tell you this. One of the scenes that I don't know, no matter how many times I watched it, in which, like, you're, you're right, it was countless times, mm-hmm. when Ant-Man reunites with his daughter... Mm-hmm. After he comes out of the quantum realm and realizing she's five years older than the last time he saw her, that scene always gets me. I just can't, you know, even though, again, you develop a very workmanlike attitude, mm-hmm. you know, sort of having this sort of and a technical attitude working with this material, but that scene always affected me emotionally. 
Uh, oh, he's going to judge and yeah. say, no, nothing gets to me. <laughs> I'm somebody's, somebody's I got, act in some, this movie. Somebody's got to keep their wits, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I think uh, when, you know, we, we snuck in and watched it with an audience on uh, uh, opening night, hearing other people being affected as much as they were, people, you know, lots of sobs and, you know, children uh, really affected, that, that gets to me. That really, when you know that you've impacted an audience in that way, because the reason we make movies on this scale, the reason we make pop culture films, we grew up on art house movies, but we also grew up on popular cinema. And something we love about art house films, and there's something we love differently mm-hmm. about pop culture films. And, you know, walking out of Star Wars, walking out of Empire Strikes Back, walking out of Indiana Jones, the feeling that we had, that we had seen something that was special, and we wanted to talk about it, and it stayed with us for weeks, and we wanted to see it again and again and again, this, that's why we make these films. So that, that you know, we can in, in, impart that same feeling on people all over the world. And when you get to sit in the theater and you hear them having that experience to the degree that they did, uh, that, to the degree that audience did in Westwood and, uh, on, uh, on that opening night, uh, that, that uh, brought tears Well, to you're eyes. seeing that then, but it's too late for you to yeah. go back and do anything with no, it. You're, you know, it's, it's like, okay. They better like it because we're, we're in <laughs> yeah, trouble at that point. There's nothing else that you can do. Yeah. So are you... Like both pop culture nuts, are you like watching Game of Thrones? We are. We're obsessed with it. We, yeah. we're, we're pop culture junkies. We grew up, I mean, sadly consuming thousands of hours of film and television, reading comic books, playing Dungeons and Dragons, reading Lord of the Rings. I mean, you go down the list, playing video games. You know, we, we did all of it and we were voracious about it. So you drove your parents nuts? Nuts. Yeah. yeah. So you were in basements making home movies while all this we weren't this, is, this was this yeah. was before i think you know like there was a real movement against that kind of overindulgence in media so i don't know how crazy we drove our parents to be honest with but you know what's <laughs> interesting is we were not like spielberg we weren't in our basement mm-hmm. making films we were film geeks we were talking about them you know he and i would watch movies and then talk about them for hours with our friends watch them again talk about them again you know, I mean, that was really the way Gotta we came. Do that. More of an academic point of view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to do it. So you guys get along doing this. You know, I've talked to other people. I've talked to the Cone Brothers about right. what happens and how it's done. When you're on the set, what are you doing? One is is one talking, and then the other one does it another time. What's going on? What well, is this? We kind of have a flow be- flow with us, you know. Like I think probably every directing team works differently. It's all a function of like personality and process. I mean, Joe and I like to have a very easy, loose process. You know, again, our you know our collaboration just begins with like a nonstop dialogue with one another, and it's almost like a Socratic dialogue where it's kind of. Co- point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. And it's how we sort of saw through what we want to do and what we're trying to achieve, what the best way to do that is. And then we just kind of find ways to like, you know, pull others into that process, into that dialogue that we have with one another. Uh, who we who we need to so work none with of these the sneaky actors try to play one off against the other. I'm sure somebody has at <laughs> yeah. some point in our careers. I don't. You can't get very far with we, that. Yeah, we don't it. know what that. It's it's interesting to me. I mentioned just a minute ago that yeah. you're you tend to show up in these movies as have been an actor. You yeah, know? you could have taken that path. Right, and look, I could have. I mean, Soderbergh very wisely. Uh, you know, who's our mentor? He's just discovered us at the Slam Dance Film Festival 25 years ago. And the first lunch we had with him, he said, I want to produce your next movie for you. Uh, and I said... It's a nice lunch. Should I? It was a great <laughs> lunch. And, uh, and I said, um, you know, Stephen, I'm, you know, I'm an actor. You saw me in the movie. Uh, should I, you know, sh- should we 
you know, look for an agent or anything. He goes, listen, he goes, it is, it's going to take every drop of blood in your body to succeed at one job in this business. He goes, I would pick a lane. And I, I think you guys are amazing directors. Start, start focusing on directing. And yet you still show up in Occasionally. <laughs> why why, why did you decide to be the first the, gay no. character in the MCU? Well, you know, I think um, it came from a storytelling standpoint. You know, that, that scene is meant to represent an everyman uh, character. We know we wanted a perspective. If you're going to wipe out half the universe, <laughs> you need the perspective of, uh, of, of the rest of the world. You have to move beyond the Avengers story for the audience to understand the impact that it's had on the lives of everyone around the world. Yeah. Well, let's talk just a little bit about those original Avengers in it. You talked, I think we dealt with Iron Man and what Robert Downey means and what Chris Evans means to Captain America. What about Thor? What, why did you decide he should be so fat? and sort of just go to pot in this movie. Well, that again, that was drawn from the very specific road that character has traveled. If you look at his history, no, no, arguably no character has suffered more than Thor. I mean, his father he was lost killed, everything. his mother was killed. At the end of Ragnarok, his planet was destroyed. At the beginning of Infinity War, Thanos kills his brother. He kills Heimdall. Mm-hmm. He kills many of his people. He goes on a single-minded quest just to avenge them and kill Thanos by the end of Infinity War, and he fails. So it's like... That he's at a low point. You can't drive that character any lower than that. And sometimes when you are in a place that, that, that is that bad and that difficult, the only way forward is through humor. You know, because you can't, you know, you know the pain and the sorrow is, is too much. You can't bear it any longer. And we wanted to explore a very human response to that kind of suffering. Guilt suppression. You know, yeah. You know, how would you react? It's well, a depre- you let yourself depression. Go. Yeah. You start drinking a lot. You, you you don't care what you eat. You don't take care of yourself. You don't sleep well. You know. Well, and we we saw in Thor Ragnarok that yeah. <laughs> because Hemsworth has a real knack for comedy. He that does. side of it, yeah. but without losing who that character is inside to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like you know there, that's why I think that, you know even though it was you know. It's a very positive road forward for that character in a way in the sense that it was, it was what he needed to do to protect himself and, re- mm-hmm. and eventually re- maintain himself until he could rebuild. Yeah. And in terms of the Hulk, we're seeing him as Professor Hulk now. What, where does that come from, bringing those two sides down into the middle? Well, the same thing. So the way we track story choices is we get in the room with the writers Marcus and McFeely we work with on all four movies. <laughs> And we start having just logical conversations about narrative. Where would it go from here, right? So, you know, Thanos uh, uh, snaps his fingers and half the universe disappears. As a hero, what do you do? Do you go after him? Sure. Thanos is very intelligent. When you find him, he's found a way to wish away the stones. You have no path forward. We thought that that would be a surprising turn for the audience. So we we activate the characters. You think, okay, we understand this is going to be a quest movie. We got it. And then ten minutes later, they chop his head off, and we cut to five years, uh, uh, five years later, Quest five years failed. after that. Quest yeah. has failed. Now it's a different kind of movie. Uh, what happens during those five years? Again, how do you process such a significant trauma? And they each do it in different ways. Banner sat around and, and, and thought about the fact that you know two characters were fighting over one host body in a very selfish way, and they could not participate or contribute in a healthy way to the fight against Thanos. So his resolution uh, is to merge them together, you know? And, uh, and I think that comes from his pain and his grief and, and his feelings of guilt and regret. 
Well, Black Widow, again, with Scarlett Johansson playing yeah. this, this is another major thing going on with this character. What made you decide to go where you went with well, her? Well, again, yeah, it's just character it. arcs. Scarlett Johansson started out, her character Black Widow is a villain before becoming a hero. She's individualistic, she's self-concerned as well because she's about self-preservation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, she came out of this culture that taught her that, uh, you know, that the only, you couldn't trust anyone and the only way to survive was to kill your enemies. The opposite of the Avengers, yeah. basically. And, uh, and so, and slowly over the course of the movies, we've been very fortunate to work with her on all four films because she's an amazing actress. And Winter Soldier, she has a relationship with Captain America where she learns from him the value of truthfulness and the value of community and the value of family. And slowly over the movie, she starts to find herself in a leadership role. And the thing that becomes most important to her is no longer self-preservation. It's preservation of the community. It's preservation of the family. And that's what she says on the mountaintop in Vormir. She says, all I've been waiting for for five years was to get to this moment, to have the opportunity to bring everybody back. And I think that's a complete arc for her to travel. Uh, and we felt like it was, uh, it was an emotional arc as well. Yeah. So when characters that we, you know, it's the end. People say, well, it's the end of the, this particular Infinity Trilogy. Or it's it, is it the end? Is it really the end? You know? It is really the end, yeah. Because I mean, I, I, it seems to me, especially what you do with Cap, the people that you do flashbacks with, seems like Cap could go back to whatever reality in the past he's living in. What do you guys call it? It's a different kind of... We're just calling it an alternate timeline. I mean, it's like a multiverse, you know. Yep, because otherwise he couldn't... um, Look, there's always new stories to tell for sure. But this movie was, you know, this was the first Marvel movie that we made where we were not thinking about the future at all. We were only thinking about how do we complete the story, complete the journey of these six main, main Avengers and bring a sense of closure to, mm-hmm. to this journey that they've had. So there, you know, there will be, there, certainly the Marvel Universe is larger than these six characters, and it will find a way forward. But in terms of that journey that we've been on, that specific journey since mm-hmm. that first Iron Man movie, um, this, this is the end, yeah. <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> some things, I'm like everybody else out there. Let's take a, just a couple of questions from sure. the world out out there yeah, and see it. what they have to say. Oh, is it true that you shot an alternate ending? No. These movies are so difficult that we would never spend the time and the resources <laughs> to, to actually shoot an alternate ending. <laughs> we would write alternate endings and we would write fake endings as a way to have misinformation out there about the movie because a lot of people were trying to find out what, what was going on in the film and uh, um, but we'd never, never spend any time or money doing that. All right, that's a definitive answer. Yes. Okay, one more here. Uh, okay. Oh, well, well, we you talked said about cher- that. It's cherry, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we're going to work on yeah. cherry, and uh, you know, it, it's a very personal project for us because it's about the opioid epidemic, and we've lost people close to us because of that epidemic. Ah. And, uh, so this is, um, we feel like uh, it's time to shine a spotlight on uh, some of the issues behind it. Well, good. So look at this future that's here. You know, yeah. the, you two have this is the first time you've been on the show, and I'm thrilled that it happened. Same here. So you Thank don't you. know that we always end in song. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, <laughs> but you we have, too. We have terrible voices. Yeah. But that doesn't matter because yeah. to me, you end this movie with a song yeah. for Cap yeah. and a dance. That's right. This is a 
sort of a World War II mm -hmm. song. And it's a callback to the Winter Soldier. It's a song that's playing uh, in Caps. Harry James? Yeah. yeah. In Caps' uh, home when Nick Fury comes to see him in the Winter Soldier. And so we felt like it would, it would come full circle. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with a hum. Can we okay. do a hum? Yeah. Beautiful. That is just amazing. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, That was special. Thank you for getting us to do that.